Welcome to The Shalene Show. Shalene has helped thousands with her books, seminars, and online academies. She's the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Push, and a mother of two. Do you have a teenager? Were you once a teenager? Do you have kids who will someday be teenagers? Do you hope to someday be a parent? Well, then you will someday have a teenager which means today's episode is going to be wildly interesting for you. I'm speaking with expert Josh Shipp. He's known as the Teen Whisperer. He had his own television show called Teen Trouble on A&E. You may have seen him on MTV, CNN, Fox, New York Times, 2020, Good Morning America. His expertise is teaching adults how to talk to and how to understand teens, and perhaps even more importantly, how to help teens understand themselves. I've been excited all week for this interview. I have so many questions. Probably, you can hear my my pages. I've got a list of about 100 questions. And we will get to many of those, as well as the questions that you submitted to me on Facebook and on Instagram. But what I wasn't expecting to get from this interview is really how to talk to that kid who might not be your kid and how you can make a difference in one kid's life. You can be that person, that one single adult who helps a kid who's lost, who doesn't feel valued, who doesn't feel understood. You can be the one person who cares and saves a life. The Shalene Show is brought to you by the Courageous Confidence Club. Confidence is a strength that can be built and strengthened just like any muscle. You just have to do the right exercises. Your success, your likability, your influence are all determined by your confidence. It's the number one factor in determining your professional success your happiness in relationships, and your ability to raise self-sufficient children. To feel more confident in social settings, this is my life coaching program, and it's changing lives. This program is changing lives. I hope you'll check it out. Please visit our website at CourageousConfidenceClub.com. Josh, it's Shaleen. How are you? Hey, very good. Excited to be with you. You have no idea. Let me just tell you, I mean... I have a long list of questions, and I don't want any of my previous guests to feel slighted in the least, but I have been on fire excited, jumping up and down to have this interview. Well, I'm looking forward to it. All right, buddy. So you tell me, why should we consider you the guy who knows how to figure out teens? Yeah, well, two things. Number one is sort of my backstory. I, uh, my mom was 17 when she gave birth to me. I was left at the hospital, grew up in a dozen different foster homes. Many of those foster parents, as are 99.9% of foster parents, outstanding individuals. Some of those homes, I experienced abuse, rape, mm. neglect. Oh, my uh, gosh. I, I was suicidal, picked on, bullied as a kid. So I sort of went through, uh, to say the least, sort of this absolute roller coaster of teen angst and difficulty and because of that I just became like this very very angry defiant young man I pushed away any sort of earnest caring adult figure who you know wasn't trying to hurt me like I at that moment perceived my mother did but mm. genuinely wanted to get through to me and and help me so it's it's not all a sad story because at 14 I moved in with what would be my final set of foster parents in a rural town of uh, in Oklahoma. And these folks seemed sort of just like every other set of parents. You know, they, they had two things that I think for all of us, I'm a parent now myself, are really the sort of the keys to being a success as a parent, which is 
They gave me consistent encouragement and consistent consequences. Mm. And their unconditional love support, um, plus lots of counseling, teachers, mentors stepping into my life, really kind of slowly began to turn my life around. And then from that came a desire for me to be that caring adult for other kids. I believe every kid is one caring adult away from being a success story. Even a kid in your home or in your school or in your workplace who is driving you crazy or seems uh, you know, like a kid you want to write off, even that kid, every kid is one caring adult away from being a success story. Josh, can I ask you a couple of questions about your childhood? Of course. And first of all, I want to say, um, I, I'm, I'm sure you've told your story many times, but to hear you say that you were raped as a child, it's hard for me not to choke back tears. Mm. And I just have to start by saying I'm so sorry. I appreciate you saying that. And it's, it's interesting because for me at this point, uh, you know, I really don't know any different. You know, my, I guess I knew it at the, at the time. It wasn't normal. It wasn't what it should be. It's just sort of what I knew. Mm. It was, you know, I just built up such a wall as a kid. I just pushed so many people away because, you know, because I had been hurt early on, I sort of, you know, assumed that every subsequent adult, even the caring ones, even the earnest ones, even the ones with no motive um, and, and no intent to hurt would, would, would do the same. And, and I'm thankful that, that years later I was able to realize that um, not only are not any of us perfect, but there, that there are individuals and adults out there who all they want to do is help, all they mm. want to do is serve, all they want to do is, is to try to help. How many homes would you say that you were in before the age of 14? To be honest, I don't know the real number because I sort of blocked it out, but I know it's north of a dozen. Oh my gosh. So by the time I was 14, it was north of a dozen. And one thing I remember is that as a kid, I kept, uh, I've always been kind of nerdy and tactical and, you know, in the beginning that was negative and now it's a positive for me. But, <laughs> yeah. But, but as a kid, I, I would literally keep a notebook and that notebook was a log of when I entered a foster home, when I exited it. And the technique that I used to get kicked out of it. Seriously? Uh, truly, because I was so um, just expecting to be hurt or to be let down or to be disappointed that my, sadly, my posture, my mindset, my attitude was, let's get this out of the way as soon as possible and let me be in control of it. Let this be my choice. Let this be my choice to push you away, not your choice to give up on me. So your thinking was always that um, any adult that you're going to come in contact with or, or people in general were going to hurt you and it was going to happen eventually. And what did you believe? I'm just curious, like a kid's mindset. What did you believe that said about you? Like, did you think you were valuable? Did you think you were bad? Did you think you were special? Like, what was your thinking back then? And of course, I couldn't have articulated it to you um, like this at that point. But sure. As I look back on it, to me, one of the, and I've seen this in every kid I've worked with personally who's struggling, the mindset that I had that was, that to me is the most heartbreaking and the most sad is that I had literally deceived myself. Not like I was lying to you, but I had genuinely 
deceived myself that everything was fine, that my life was in control, that my choices were just fine, and that you were the crazy one, that mm-hmm. you didn't get it, that you didn't understand it. And it wasn't like an act, it wasn't a front, it wasn't any of that. I had seriously deceived myself and allowed myself to live in an environment where I did not allow in any external voices to try to crush that lie and show me sort of what my life was really about. What I hear is someone who had like really high self-worth and the ability to say, you're all screwed up and I'm the one who needs to get out of this situation, which would really be ironic for someone who'd been so really hurt and had so many experiences to to prove to them like an evidence file if you will Mm -hmm. and that and are you saying that that wasn't your thinking your thinking was that you were valuable well a bit a bit of i mean a bit of both for sure the you know the influences that were negative and the homes that were abusive like for sure i should get out of those and for sure i should push those away um that's not the that's not the point to me the heartbreaking thing is that when i would have pushed the adults and the homes away who meant well, who were Ah. trying to do nothing more than help. Mm. To to those people, I still allowed myself to be deceived because they would say, Josh, you know, we really believe in you. We see something in you, um, but you're hurting and you need to get a little bit of help. And once you get help, like then your life's going to be awesome. To those people, I thought they're clueless. They're naive. They don't get it. They're the ones that messed up. They're Mm. the ones that are messed up. Mm -hmm. I'm just fine. Leave me alone. I have like 75 questions I want to ask you about my own teens. But by the same token, my brain keeps going to these kids who I can just see they're, that they are yeah. Josh. You know what I mean? And my heart breaks for them. And I can see that some of these kids are in a situation like that. So what do you do about that kid that everyone else is saying, watch out for that one. He's trouble. You know, he's been passed around and he's got a bad attitude and anger issues. And they've got him on ADD medication and he's angry and violent. And look out. like. What do you do with that kid? The truth is that there is an interesting sort of shift in the dynamic when your five-year-old eventually becomes a Mm 15-year-old. You know, how they operate is no longer how they currently operate. What used to work as an effective parenting technique now sort of backfires on you. And, you know, it is a sort of a teen's rite of passage to begin to to kind of push the boundaries. I, I put mm. it like this. Think about if you've ever like, uh, you know, been to an amusement park, They you sit down in a roller coaster and they put that that lap bar in your lap to sort of <laughs> protect you from, you know, yeah, falling, falling out. out and dying or what have you. Um, well, if you're OCD and a control freak like me, I like grab that bar and I wiggle it and push it and prod it and test it to make sure like the thing is going to work and mm-hmm. hold me in there. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not pushing and prodding and testing that bar, hoping that it will give, leading to my inevitable death. I'm, I'm pushing and prodding and testing it, hoping it will hold. Mm. And that's exactly what teenagers do. They don't push and prod and test, hoping that you will give. They push and prod and test so that in a time in their life when so many things are uncertain, so many things are up in the air, they want to know that you are certain and that you're not up in the air and that you're firm and that you can be counted on. Wow, that does really cross over because the 
couple of kids who I'm thinking of right now, you're right. That's that's what they're doing. And that's why you can see their eyes light up when somebody does give them that consistency, those boundaries, but with love and care and and just kind of like letting a kid know you matter, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I I mean, to me, if I had to sum up every, you know, you know all these things I go around now, I've spoken to several million people, had a couple TV shows, books, all the media stuff, you know, all those sorts of things. If I had to sum up all of that, uh, you know, advice that I give to to parents, to families about teenagers, it's basically all it comes down to, all that matters is consistent encouragement and consistent consequences. Mm. And and most of us, again, I'm a parent myself, I'm not perfect, even though I'm a subject matter expert. <laughs> uh, m- most of us tend to be good at one or the other. Um, and, and kids, yes, need to know that they're loved, that they're cared for, that they matter, that their life matters, but they also need to know that, that the choices that they make have consequences and that there's a cost to them. Um, and they need to learn that now while they're in the safety of your home and you do have at least a little bit of control, not later on when they're in college or outside of sort of your home and you have less influence. That's great. One of the things I've noticed, and I'm sure you get this question a lot, it's, and I ask my Facebook family as well as my Instagram family, I've got this expert on the line, what do you want to know? And a lot of the same questions came up. Mm-hmm. Of course, one of the big ones is, I am worried about the social skills of my teen. I know that teenagers, because I was once one, you know, ha- kind of speak a different language and aren't that interested in talking to adults, but so many of us, myself included, are really concerned about our kids' ability to communicate, not just with us, but like with their spouse someday, because mm-hmm. all they do is, you know, crank their neck down. At, they sit in circles, <laughs> friends, and they sit next to each other and text each other. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's on their phone, and I'm not going to point fingers at teens. It's all of us. Right. But at least I grew up learning to, like, you know, I, I could be a fast talker. I could communicate my my way through things, and I worry that our kids and these next couple of generations aren't going to have those skills to be able to make their point in a relationship, to be heard at the office, like to communicate their feelings, their emotions, their needs. Mm-hmm. All right. So, all right. I, I love this question because it brings up two amazing, practical, outstanding points. Point number one regarding teenagers and technology. When your kid is a teenager, as a parent, you have very few points of leverage left. (laughs) Um, You know, I have a three-year-old. As the parent of a three-year-old, the name of the game is control. Mm -hmm. I I control what she eats. I control when she goes to bed. I control where she goes, blah, blah, blah. When you have a teenager, the name of the game is no longer control, but it's influence. Mm. And you have very few points of influence when your kid is now 15. And those points are basically money, rides, and technology. Dude, that's right. Money, rides, and technology. The the, the holy trinity of teenagers, <laughs> if you will. Oh, my um, God. You know, because you could tell them, you know, go to your room or come home at this time and blah, blah, blah. And you hope that they do it. And if they do, you say, nice job. And if they don't, there should be a consequence. But ultimately, they could say, screw you. I'm going to do what I want and do what they want. Mm -hmm. So here's my point. Technology is a frustrating and beautifully fascinating vehicle to teach teenagers self-governance. So you are giving them 
a tool that can be used for good, that can be used for bad, that could be used for unlimited consumption, or that can be used for smart limited consumption. They have to be taught how to appropriately use their cell phone. And in teaching a kid how to appropriately use a cell phone, have boundaries, expectations, all of that around it, you are even more important to you teaching that young person self-governance. Because when they go to college, they could stay up all night if they want. Literally everything is limitless. Mm -hmm. And if they have not learned sort of this tool of self-governance, then they could take something that indeed could be a good thing, take it to the extreme, and, and sort of overuse it. And, you know, realize if you're paying for the cell phone, you have leverage. That is, that is a privilege. That is not a, you know, given right as a citizen. On my website, I'll make sure that you link to it. I have something as simple as sort of a cell phone agreement that parents can use with their teen to say like, hey, I'm happy to give you the cell phone, uh, maybe even happy to pay for it, but there are some expectations around this privilege just as there are with any privilege in life. Yeah. So that's point one. The, the second point is how to have a better communication with your team. Mm -hmm. And it really comes down to this. When you lecture your team, which as parents we can tend to do because we love them, we care for them, we don't want to see them hurt, we have this important piece of information, we need to get through to their thick skull, we can tend to lecture. And when we lecture, what it does subtly is trains your team to tune you out. Mm-hmm. So you're like the boy that cried wolf, you have this insanely important information, and no one's listening. My suggestion would be, anytime you want to lecture, which is understandable, turn your lecturing into questions. So if lecturing causes kids to tune you out, um, questioning causes or, and, and trains critical thinking. So and, you know, if they do something foolish, which every kid is going to, instead of saying, you know, I, I can't believe you did that. And, and lecturing and going on, which again is understandable. Take this as an opportunity to train critical thinking. Ask some questions. Hey, what went on? What did you learn? What would you do differently next time? What do you wish you would have done? What boundaries do you wish you would have had? What clarity do you wish you would have understood about that situation? And also parents can use, um, you know, sort of current events and what's happening in the media to also have these conversations. You know, like if some celebrity does something, you know, completely insane and foolish, you can use that as an opportunity to have a conversation with your kid and, again, train critical thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think about like a month ago or, or maybe even longer, like a bunch of celebrity, you know, nude photos were sort of hacked and then just spread all over the Internet. So you could use this to gain information about what your kid thinks about an important topic such as, you know, their, their privacy, um, how they're using their cell phone, how they're not. Hey, did you see this? Who's at fault here? Is that the media because these celebrities are um, entitled to their privacy? Or is a celebrity at fault because they should have known better? And when you sort of try to train critical thinking through asking questions, you will bump up against 
information that gives you very clear indicator as to where your kid lies on a particular issue. Mm-hmm. You know, where their current thinking is on a particular issue. And you might bump up against it and be like, whoa, they, they clearly have sort of a wrong idea about this. That's something that I need to be intentional about helping them see clearly on. Or, okay, good. Yes, they have some very clear thinking around this issue. Hey guys, thanks for allowing me to interrupt. I just wanted to jump in at this point and make a suggestion. The Shaleen Show is all about being better, living with purpose, improving ourselves from the inside out. And there are so many of you who reach out to me and leave me messages asking how to stay motivated or you know, how to erase self-doubt, how to get out of your own way and do some of these things. It all boils down to one trait, confidence. Most people agree that confidence is what makes someone attractive. It's not their weight or how good looking they are or driving the right car, it's, it's confidence. And confidence can be learned, it can be improved. If you dread being in certain social situations or if you struggle with self-doubt, if you just know there's so many things you could do if you just really believed in yourself, then I want to encourage you to check out what people are saying about this program. Go to CourageousConfidenceClub.com. Okay, that's it for now. Back to the show. I've got a couple of questions or add-ons to that that I want to address with you. Number one is that I have noticed, and we have the the house, Josh, where all the kids come here. Like we built our house as a kid magnet so our kids wouldn't go to other people's homes because we're protective. And I've watched enough Oprah's (laughs) to know that I want my kids here. So there's always a massive amount of teens here. And... I'm very patient and I've got this cool job where I don't really, I'm on my own schedule. I've noticed it takes me about 45 minutes of hanging out with them and asking 75 bajillion questions to get past the, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. What do you mean? Like, Mm -hmm. like, I, I don't know really. I mean, that's just their response to everything. And the first example you gave where let's say they get in trouble and, you know, you're a smart enough parent to start with, you know, well, let's talk about what made you feel like you needed to do that. Right. For the first 45 minutes, and that's where I worry that it's the phone and technology, they, I don't feel like they're being dismissive. I feel like their brains, and sometimes I'll even joke with my kids, if you don't know the answer to this question, text it to me, even though I'm sitting (laughs) across from you. Like, you know, do you not know how to form the words? They they always just go, oh, I I don't know. What do you mean? I don't, I don't know. And, but if I'm patient and persistent, I eventually get them to use their words and communicate their emotions and their feelings and their thoughts. Is that a trend that we can attribute to technology or is that just being a teen? Uh, Frankly, I think it's a little bit of both. Mm. I mean, uh, yes, I think, you know, for anyone at any age bracket, as you said, who's so tuned into technology and so sort of attached to technology, there can be a, a real difficulty around connecting with a different human being just because, uh, you know, the methodology is different and, and these sorts of things. And I mean, I like what you're bumping up against there also because an, another thing that you can try too is, you know, s- so much of our life as parents is to get our kids to talk about things they'd rather not talk about. <laughs> True. You know, I need to know what's going on in your mind about this or how you feel about this or what you're going to do about this. And they just really rather not be bothered. And, you know, to me, I'm always asking and thinking, okay, I can't control my kid, but 
but how can I make sure I'm putting my best foot forward to try to make this as smooth as possible? And to me, this comes back to vulnerability leads to vulnerability. So if part of your job as a parent is to get your kid to talk about things they'd rather not talk about, you should try to intentionally be in the habit of talking to your kids about things that you'd rather not talk about. Meaning, you know, if you had a terrible day at, at work and someone completely misinterpreted what you said and they sort of judge you and you felt kind of ridiculed because of that thing, if you, if you lead with that, it actually sort of sets the stage and a precedent for vulnerability. Here I am talking to you about something I'd rather not talk about um, and, and that can lead to them talking about things they'd rather not talk about. That makes sense. That's a great point. You know, you did say about social media and our phones, etc. And that's, I think, a really big obstacle. When I look at the questions that people have listed for me on Facebook and on Instagram, they boil down to communication, technology, and motivation. How do I get my kid excited about anything, motivated, charged up? Like, There's so many messages that people are like, my kid isn't excited about <laughs> anything. Does my kid have a pulse? Yes. What's that? Well, it's interesting because um, we really cannot give someone else motivation. That that has to come from them. And this is, I think, tricky as a parent because, yes, we need to care. Yes, we should care. Um, but ultimately, they need to care more. If they're going to change their life, if they're going to take control of their life, if they're going to do meaningful, earnest uh things with their life, they need to be the one that cares about that. So, uh, I mean, a very simple technique that I've seen work is a key area that where, an, where a mentor, meaning someone who's not mom or dad. That's key, huh? It, exactly, because as mom or dad, you, you know, it's not that you need a different message, you need a different messenger. Oh my God, that's so true. <laughs> that is so true, yes. So, sometimes I would come home from baseball practice and tell my foster mom like, oh my gosh, my coach said this thing and it's so brilliant and he's so right. And my mom would be like, you idiot. I've been saying that to you for like four years. But, but sometimes we need to hear that from someone who's not mom or dad. So for me, I'm a big proponent of whatever your kid is nerding out about and excited about and into, I don't care what it is as long as it's legal. Uh, you know, really try to push, put, put your energy into pushing, prodding, and conjoling them to getting involved with a group, with a group of people where there's a positive adult involved, where they are pursuing sort of mastery and improvement in that area. It doesn't matter if it's theater or speech and debate or technology something or chess or sports or academic, doesn't matter. But something where they're surrounded by a group of people who, you know, get amped up and nerd out about a similar thing to them. And that becomes an unbelievable vehicle um, and a natural vehicle for mentorship, for learning to overcome obstacles, and for learning to, frankly, care about something and realize that the more that you give to something that, that you care about and that you're invested in, the more that not only does it give to you as a person and improve you as a person, but gives to other people as well. Wow, that is really cool to hear. You've got to figure out that thing that they're excited and motiv motivated and fired up about. And nine times out of 10, it's going to be the opposite of what mom and dad are fired up about. 
Yes. I mean, like people will walk up to my kids and they'll say, how cool is it that your mom is Shalene Johnson? And right now it's like, I'm not cool. I can, my son, for example, both kids, you know, I was talking to them about strength training and they're, they're both in sports. And I was showing my son um, a technique for lunges. And he said to me, he's like, aren't those like mom exercises? I'm like, I'm pretty sure lunges are unisex. But this, he could get that same information from someone else and grab onto it. So I think it's really important. I'm going to remember that. It's, it's not necessarily what you're fired up about. And it needs to sometimes come from someone other than you. Yeah, and the good news is, as parents, this is really a, a call to arms that we do not have to, nor should we attempt to, do this alone. To really try to push your kid into an environment that will stimulate, require intentional growth in their life. Because, you know, I think we have to be careful as, as parents, because if we take credit for our kids' successes we will also take credit for their failures. Mm -hmm. And particularly when they're 15, 16, 17, our job is to try to put them in environments and situations where they can succeed or where they can fail and, and either way um, support them and help them learn from it. But either way, this, this is a slow transition of giving responsibility for their life, for their success to them. This is their life, and we want them to take responsibility and ownership for it. That leads me to the, a question that is just glaring to me right now on my Facebook wall. It's asked by uh, Jenna Wilder, and she says, Why doesn't my son want to do anything? Doesn't want to do homework, doesn't want to get his driver's license, and doesn't look forward to anything, including his future. Mm. Yeah, I mean... To me, I would figure there there has to be, obviously, I don't know this particular situation, but there has to be something, something in his life that, that he does get moderately excited about, um, enjoy, gets into these sorts of things. How do you know, though, when to identify that you're dealing with teenage angst versus real depression or a child who needs, who needs help? aside from just a parent who's willing to listen? This is a great question. So if, you know, as a parent, you should really trust your instincts. If, if you suspect something is up, something deeper might be going on, something might be wrong, then likely something is, you know, maybe not your sort of worst case scenario that we can spin into our minds sometimes, uh, but something. And I am such an enormous fan of counseling. I did hundreds of hours of counseling. That is that is why I am I am a decently rational functioning <laughs> human being. It's not because I'm smart or clever or, you know, short, pale and pasty and, <laughs> and handsome and all those things. But but because of counseling, you know, in in life we got two options. We either talk it out or we act it out. Mm. Oh wait a second. I have to tweet that. Come on now. We either talk it out or act it out. Josh, yes. I go on a rant on just about every other podcast about how therapy is like the secret sauce. It's not something people do because they have mental problems or, you know, right. issues. It's like the smartest, most successful, put together, logical people I know have spent hours in therapy, including myself and my husband. And in fact, the people who we coach personally, uh, we make them fill out an application. And if they haven't done any therapy, they're not getting in our mentorship. 
Yep. Because I need people who like really are going to take control of their thinking and I can't fix you. And if, you know, if you're not willing to go see someone to help you talk it through, um, you're going to walk around with that stuff. So I'm so glad that you said that. And I think that there's a stigma attached that people are like, well, I want to take my child. I want to take my child to a therapist. But does that mean I'm a bad parent or that my kid will think he or she is messed up? Listen, amen, sister. We're all a little screwed up and we're all a little bit awesome. That's (laughs) that's just the fact of the matter. Here's what eventually worked for me in counseling that my final set of foster parents, the Wiedemeyers, told me that that I wish I would have heard before. Um, Number one, if necessary, don't be bashful about trying to bribe your kid to give it a try. Here's what I mean. A lot of kids, you say, hey, you should, you know, why don't we get you some counseling or this and that. Most of them are going to be like, that's dumb. I don't need it. That's for people who are screwed up. I'm fine. So you can say to them, hey, why don't you try it out for 90 days? I know there's kind of this cool thing that you wanted or reward that you wanted that you were fine with getting them anyway. And if you test drive it for 90 days, which means like, you know, eight sessions or whatever, um, I'll hook you up with that thing. And if after those eight sessions... You hate it. You don't feel like it's any benefit, whatever. You can completely walk away. Number one, giving them power and them control. And secondly, what I wish someone would have told me that my that the Wiedemeyers told me about counseling is this. Josh, the first four or five times you go to counseling, you are going to leave feeling worse hmm. than when you went in. Mm. Imagine you've never been, I, I, I know you're big into fitness. Imagine you've never been to the gym in your life. Yeah. E- ever. Yeah. And then you go and work out for an hour. You're going to be sweaty. You're going to be sore as crap. You're going to be embarrassed. You're going to feel like, you know, everyone's looking. It's just going to be, and then the next morning you're going to wake up, you're going to be sore. You're going to be like, what on earth was I thinking? But that pain, that soreness is... You working towards growth, you working towards strength. And so many 15-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 57-year-olds, hmm. we, we bump up against that pain and we go, uh-oh, this isn't working for me. Uh-oh, I don't need this. Uh-oh, this counselor isn't a fit for me. Oh, I guess this doesn't really work. We, we misinterpret. Now you're getting me on my soapbox. I'm loving this right we, now. We are. Uh, we misinterpret what that pain actually means. That pain is actually an indicator that you are growing inside and that you are healing, not that you should drop the you know sort of proverbial dumbbell and walk away. No, you should push in. You should lean in. This is working. Keep going. That is awesome. Josh, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. I can't even thank you enough for the inspiration that you're providing, number one, to anyone out there who happens to be listening, who is a teen, or perhaps who struggle with being in foster care homes, or maybe just parents who were neglectful and never did therapy and never really worked through some of those things to to prove to the world that there is a way not only to turn that around, um, but to take something that you have been through and turn it into not just a business, but a purpose. I mean, the the number of lives that you've touched is really remarkable, and I want to I want to honor you for that. Oh, thank you so much. 
Tell me about how people can learn more about what it is you do and how they can get help for teens. Sure thing. So the best resource, particularly for parents and, and those who care for or want to make a difference with young people, is I set up a website. It's called freeteenhelp.com. And on there, I have several very, very practical videos walking you through different situations with technology or setting boundaries, um, back talk, these sorts of things. But, but also, as I mentioned earlier, that contract that you can sort of copy and paste, fill in your specific situations so that there is a premeditated game plan about what is and is not appropriate with technology use in your own, ha- in your own home. You know, almost no parent I've met doesn't want to do the right thing or doesn't care. These sorts of things. It's just difficult. You're like, I don't know where to start. How do I, how do I, you know, I don't want to be too harsh, but I also don't want to be too permissive. And so on that site, there are some great tools and resources um, for you to kind of get that ball rolling. Well, Josh, you're an awesome guy. Thank you so much for what you're doing. And thank you for being a guest of The Shalene Show. My pleasure. God bless you, Shalene. Thanks. Man, that was so good. I really wanted to keep Josh on the line for, I don't know, another two or three hours. I have so many questions, and I think I do a really great job as a parent, but I know there's room to improve. Specifically, it's really got me thinking about this whole social media thing and cell phones. Ding. I mean, how perfect is that that my phone dings right while I'm recording this? And hello, what a rookie that I actually have my phone in my podcast booth, and it's not on silent. Hashtag duh. My point is, technology is awesome, obviously. You're probably listening to this podcast from your cell phone or, or from some device. I mean, technology is cool. It's changed my business. It's helped me meet some of the most amazing people. We love it. There's no doubt about it. It saves lives. It makes us smarter. It helps us connect. However, there are lots of downsides. And I think the biggest one, our ability to communicate and our ability to be present. So I promise in the next week, I am going to dig into this topic, cell phones, technology, and what it's doing to you, to your family members. But I need your thoughts. So please leave me a speak pipe message. Now I think the positives are pretty obvious. So do me a favor, leave me a speak pipe message and let me know specifically how technology has had a negative influence on you, your relationships, your family, and perhaps even your ability to concentrate and to be present. You can leave me that message anonymously if you'd like, and if you don't want me to use your name, no problem. Just let me know that in the beginning of the message. Otherwise, you can do that by going to my website. Go to shaleenjohnson.com forward slash podcast. There, you can tell me your whole story and let me know your concerns about technology, our cell phones, our kids, our family, our relationships, and and how perhaps it's affecting you personally. I'm excited for you to be a part of that show. We're not getting rid of technology. It's here to stay. But I think we can all learn to better manage it. And I think we we have to learn to do that. I think we have to figure out a way where people are not using their phones and distracted in their cars. And we need something other than just personal accountability. All right, I'm looking forward to hearing your messages. Don't forget, you on the bomb.com, baby.